This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and this week we've got another message from our Acts of the Apostles series. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9, where we're going to be going through verses 19 through to 31 this morning, which is the passage that Kristen just read for us, and a passage that tells the story of Saul's early days post-conversion, right after he came to faith on the road to Damascus, which is the story that we looked at last week in Acts 9 verses 1 through to 19. This is what we see in our passage here today. We see what happened next in Saul's life and what was that Saul did right after coming to faith in Jesus and right after coming, uh, becoming a Christian. And so before we look at that story, I want to ask you a question. I, I wonder if you actually can remember what it was like for you in your life right after coming to faith in Christ and becoming a follower of Jesus, if that's your story, if becoming a Christian is something that you've experienced at this point in your journey of faith. What was it like for you after becoming a Christian? Do you remember those early days of faith? Maybe you're still in those early days of faith. I don't know. Well, for me, honestly, I remember being pumped, <laughs> absolutely pumped after becoming a Christian. Some of you probably know my story, some of you probably don't, but I actually came to faith as a young boy having grown up in a Christian home like many of you have as well. But then sadly, as a teenager, I wandered away for a few years as I went through a bit of a teenage rebellion phase and got into some destructive things that I shouldn't have, you know, things like drugs and alcohol and, and so on. It was actually a really dark season of my life to say the least, as being a teenager was really hard for me, as I know it's really hard for a lot of teenagers still today, and it was really hard for many of you watching as well. And so for me, because of my teenage rebellion, it wasn't until the age of 17 or 18 that I finally came back to Christ, and I would say really became a Christian, you know, where I actually surrendered my life to Jesus and decided to follow him for the rest of my life as opposed to just believing a bunch of things about him as I had decided to do as a young boy. And maybe it's just my all or nothing personality, but I remember being absolutely pumped about my faith in those early days after becoming a Christian, abrasive even, some might say, as I could hardly even have a conversation with someone without aggressively bringing it back to Jesus and telling them about how they needed Jesus in their life. I, I remember one friend in particular, a friend who had not yet come to faith in Jesus and really wasn't interested in having a conversation about it either at that point in his journey. I remember him actually having to tell me on several occasions actually to shut up and to stop talking about Jesus because he was just so sick of me bringing it back to my faith and being so aggressive about it with him, telling him why he you know needed Jesus and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? I just, I couldn't help it. And it may have, you know, come out wrong. I may have been too aggressive with some people, but honestly, it came from a good heart as I was just so excited about my faith and the difference that Jesus had made in my life. And I just felt like I had to tell as many people as possible, even if they didn't want to hear it. 
So what about you? Do you remember those early days in your journey as a follower of Jesus? If that's your story, if you've decided to follow Jesus, where maybe like me, you were filled with excitement about your faith and eagerness to tell others about it? Because honestly, that's a pretty common response I have found to be excited and enthusiastic, pumped even about your newfound faith in Christ as a brand new Christian, I see it all the time where someone comes to faith in Jesus as they surrender their life to Jesus and they start coming to church every Sunday and maybe they get baptized and they start reading their Bibles and and praying and things like this and they are just so pumped up, so excited about their faith. Not everyone has that happen for sure, but a lot of people do. It's quite common as a new Christian to be excited about your faith. So do you remember those days? In your journey of faith, when you were a new Christian, do you remember that initial excitement that maybe some of you felt? Well, in a way, this is what we see here in our passage in Acts 9 in Saul's life as a brand new Christian as well, where after he surrendered his life to Jesus in dramatic fashion on the road to Damascus, as we talked about last week in the first half of Acts 9, Acts 9 verses 1 through to 19, we see now what happens next in Saul's life, in those early days as a follower of Jesus, as a brand new, excited Christian. So then, with all that in mind, let's look at this story together now and see what it is that maybe we can pull from it for our own lives today as we look at this story of Saul's early days as a brand new Christian. We're starting in verse 19, the second half of verse 19. We read this. Saul, after having been prayed for and filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized, and after having regained miraculously his sight as Ananias prayed for him, he stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, Luke the author says. That in all likelihood, he he stayed with Ananias, the one who we talked about last week, who who prayed over Saul, that Ananias uh, connected with Saul and connected him to his friends, to other believers in the church there in Damascus. And then listen to this in verse 20. And immediately, like as in right after coming to faith in Jesus, he, Saul, began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God, that he, Jesus, is Lord. Now, a couple things about this verse. This verse here, it's significant for at least two different reasons. Number one, it shows us Saul's own excitement and enthusiasm about Jesus and his newfound faith, doesn't it? Where after having come to faith and surrendering his life to Jesus, he doesn't wait, he doesn't delay, but he goes out straight away to the synagogues preaching and telling others about Jesus. Again, right away. Kind of like me, I guess, in a way as a new believer, as a teenager, he was Probably much less of a donkey about it than I was. But I like to think I was just trying to be like Saul, I guess, as a kid and telling others about Jesus. What we see Saul doing here is the first significant thing about this verse. We see his excitement and enthusiasm for Jesus as a new Christian as he told others about his newfound faith. But the second significant thing that we see here in this verse is where it was that Saul preached. That he preached, Luke says, in the synagogues of all places. Now, why is that significant? Well, some of you might remember, if you were here with us last week, that at the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 9, Saul was specifically commissioned by the high priest of the Sanhedrin to go out to the synagogues 
in Damascus, not so that he could preach Jesus, of course, but so he could round up as many believers as he could and arrest them and bring them back in chains to Jerusalem. But now, instead, here he is, here Saul is, in those very same synagogues that he had gone to, to arrest people in, doing the very thing that he was dead set against, as he preaches Jesus to others. Amazing people, Luke tells us, with his intellect and his wit and his strong arguments for the faith. This shows us just how dramatic and immediate the spiritual transformation that Saul underwent was, doesn't it? As he went from being essentially a terrorist, looking to imprison and kill as many Christians in the synagogues as possible, to now preaching and teaching and proclaiming the risen Christ in the very synagogues that he once planned on violently invading. It's incredible the transformation Saul underwent as a new Christian and as the Holy Spirit changed his heart and gave him the heart of God instead. It's the exact same of trans, kind of transformation, really, that the Holy Spirit longs to do in each and every one of our lives, too, isn't it? As he longs to give us the heart of God. Verse 21, now, all who heard Saul preach were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation amongst Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Like, what on earth is going on here, they, they wondered. Verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Just like they couldn't refute Stephen's arguments back in Acts 8, if you remember that story, as well as Saul had likely taken note of that and borrowed some of Stephen's same arguments as Stephen's Christianity's first martyr. He was known to be a pretty good debater of his own, if you remember that story from Acts 8. So that's what we see Saul doing here. We see him preaching in the synagogues, debating with the Jews, and doing a pretty good job with it. And so how then did the Jewish people respond to Saul's arguments and to his preaching? How was it that they felt about his ministry? Well, we see this in verse 23. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him, just as they had killed Stephen as the persecutor here. And Saul now becomes the persecuted with his own people plotting against him to kill him because of his ministry because of his newfound faith. But it's interesting. Uh, notice here the three words at the very beginning of this verse. The words, after a while, or as other translations put it, when many days had passed. Uh, approximately how long of a time do you think Luke was referring to here when he said these words, after a while? Maybe he meant a few days or a few weeks, a few months perhaps at the most? Well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? That's to me, the, the phrase after a while would normally indicate a shorter period of time, as in after a little while. But surprisingly, that's just not the case here in this passage. Just believe it or not, this little while that Luke is referring to here, it was actually a long while, as it was a period of, get this, three years. And we know this because Paul himself tells us this in one of his pastoral letters, a letter that he himself wrote decades later to the church in Galatia, we're in Galatians 1, verses 15 through to 20, which we won't read in the interest of time. Paul, in talking about this very same story in Acts 9, he talks about disappearing to Arabia in the desert 
for three whole years before returning to Damascus. Three years, Paul says. While Luke, here in Acts 9, he's like, I don't know, after a while. I'm not really sure how long it was. But after a while, people tried to kill him. <laughs> it's funny, the difference, isn't it? Like imagine 10 or 20 years down the road, looking back on these COVID years and describing them by saying, after a while. As in, it's March break, 2020, COVID hits, but then after a while, everything went back to normal and we all started going back on vacation again. We'd all be like, yes, but no. Like you're missing a few important details, a few important years in there actually. But that's kind of what Luke does here, isn't it? As in his mind, this three year period, it's not really all that important to the overall story that he's telling. And so he doesn't include that detail as ancient writers would often exclude details that they didn't feel were relevant to the overall story that they were trying to tell. Now, as I say all this, I realize that some of you are probably thinking, you know, who cares, right? Like three years, three months, three, day, three days, what's the difference at this point? Why should this detail matter to us at today at this point in our own stories? Well, I'll tell you why it should matter. It should matter because it shows us the importance of retreating with God before trying to succeed in life for God. Just as Saul retreated with God to work out his faith in the desert, where after some initial preaching in the synagogues and debating with the Jewish people there in Damascus, as we saw in verse 20, Saul, in all likelihood, at some point, realized that as a new Christian, he still had a lot of things to sort out. That He still had a lot of things to learn. That He had a lot of questions that needed answering and a lot of theological and scriptural things that he needed to work through in his head that he needed to study in the scriptures and a lot of probably personal and existential things to sort out as well i'm sure as being blinded by the glory of god on the road to damascus and hearing the voice of jesus and being called by god into ministry to gentiles and to kings like I imagine that can probably mess with your head a little bit, right? I'm sure he had a lot of questions to work through in his own mind and heart before God. And so Saul, he, he presses pause on his ministry that he had started in Damascus for Jesus. And he then retreats into the desert for three years before re-engaging in ministry once again, creating space for his mind and his heart to process all these things one-on-one -on -one with God, to just study the scriptures, to spend time in prayer, to spend time processing his faith and just being with Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. Saul, he retreated with Jesus before trying to succeed for Jesus in life and in ministry. And this principle here of retreating and of being with Jesus and trying uh, before we try to do things for Jesus, it's an incredibly important principle for us here today too, isn't it? New Christian or not. not. Not that we need to take three years off and go off to the desert somewhere and retreat there. I, I imagine that's not probably all that practical for most of us, but of getting into the habit each and every day of retreating and being with Jesus, right? Removing ourselves from the chaos and the noise of life each and every day just to be with Jesus and to get to know him better, to learn to hear his voice and to read and study the scriptures and to pray and ultimately just to create space for God to work in our lives and to continue the transformational work that he's already started in us. 
You know, er earlier I talked about the excitement and the enthusiasm that many new Christians experience as they start out their journey of faith with Jesus and just how common that is to be excited. But you know what? As common as that excitement may be, the reality is, is that, you know, this excitement and enthusiasm, that spiritual high, if you will, that some of us experience after coming to faith in Christ, it doesn't last, does it? Eventually, the emotion, you know, it wears off and the noise and the busyness of life often creeps back in and life gets hard again. And doubts can emerge in our hearts and in our minds and difficulties in life can distract us. And faith, sadly, can often, as a result, end up taking a back seat in our lives. I've seen it happen more times than I'd like to admit, to be honest with you, where, where there's a new Christian that ends up connecting in with our church. They're showing up every Sunday and they're, they're pumped about their faith as we talked about earlier. Maybe they even get baptized and they take some initial steps with Jesus. But then after the excitement wears off months, maybe years later, they end up at some point just disappearing and disconnecting from the church, often even disengaging from their faith completely as well. And while everyone's story is unique and there could be lots of different factors that can, you know, contribute towards people's disengagement with or, or drift from faith, one of the main reasons this happens, I think, is actually quite simple. It's because oftentimes these people, they never really learn about the importance of the desert and of retreating daily with God, where each and every day we go off and we spend time intentionally with Jesus, you know, being in prayer and in the scriptures and journaling and, and meditating and processing life with Jesus. That, that habit, that discipline, that daily rhythm of retreating and being with Jesus before ever attempting to do anything for Jesus, it never really took root as it should for every believer. And so sadly, when the emotion fades and life gets hard for many of these new Christians. They just give up as a result, looking for the next quick fix. It's why Saul, I think, disappeared into the desert here for three years before he did anything else, as he knew the importance of being rooted in Jesus before attempting to do anything for Jesus, as he retreated with Jesus before he succeeded for Jesus in life and in ministry, which I think is a very important thought for each and every one of us to think about in our own lives, new Christian or not. Well, back to our story in Acts 9 now. Look at what happened after a while, after Saul's three years in the desert, where in verse 24, we read this. They, as in those who were plotting to kill Saul, remember how they wanted to kill him? They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him as the persecutor in Saul became the persecuted. But Saul was told about their plot, Luke tells us. He heard about their schemes as his community looked out for him because he now was connected into this community of faith there in Damascus. Verse 25. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall, causing Saul to escape and flee Damascus as a result, as he ran for his life. And where did he go? Where did Saul go as he fled? Verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, as he went to the church's headquarters, so to speak, he tried to meet with the believers there, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. 
Now put yourself in these believers' sandals, if you will, for a moment. Because even though it had been three years and they'd heard some rumors that Saul had maybe come to faith in Christ, that he'd become a Christian, they didn't know for sure if that rumor was legit. If Saul the terrorist had legitimately become a Christian or if this was all just some ploy or a, a trap by Saul in order to have them arrested and taken away to be killed. And so understandably, they're a little bit afraid, aren't they? You know, for, for us, imagine 10, 15 years ago or so having <laughs> Osama bin Laden show up to one of our worship services at the gathering. Last week, I compared Saul to, uh, in his pre-Christian state to Osama bin Laden, the, the terrorist. So uh, imagine Osama, the terrorist, showing up to a worship service here at the gathering, saying he's now a Christian and that he's changed his ways, that he's done with all the killing and the terrorism and so on, and he just wants to follow Jesus as part of our community of faith. I wonder how you'd feel about that, about Osama bin Laden trying to join our church. It's obviously completely implausible as that could have never happened, but you get the point, don't you? It's kind of, I think, how the believers here in Jerusalem felt as Saul in Acts 9 tried to join their church. They're afraid and unsure of whether or not he's really changed, if he's really become a Christian. And so Saul, he needed some help, didn't he? He needed someone to stand up for him and to vouch for him and to help convince the others that the old Saul was gone and that God was doing something new and exciting in his life. Saul needed a friend, an advocate who would have his back and help others see the change that God was doing in his life, which is exactly what he got. He got an advocate out of a guy named Barnabas which uh, is pretty cool. We'll talk about Barnabas here in verse 27, where we read this. Then Barnabas, whose name, get this, literally means son of encouragement, right? And being true to his name as an encourager, he brought him, he brought Saul to the apostles, to Peter and James specifically, as we know from Paul in Galatians 1, that uh, Saul met with Peter and James specifically. And he told them, Barnabas told them, of how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus uh, in Damascus. As Barnabas advocated for Saul, right? Leading the apostles to eventually accept and include him as part of the church, even inviting him into leadership in the church as, a, as we'll come to see throughout the book of Acts. It's incredible. And you know, it's interesting. When you think of Saul's larger story here throughout the story of the New Testament, as he became known as the Apostle Paul and planted several churches and ended up writing much of the New Testament, well, Saul likely never becomes the Apostle Paul that we know today if it weren't for two people here in Acts 9, right? Those two people being Ananias and Barnabas. Like if Ananias, who we talked about last week, if he had not obeyed God and gone to pray over Saul at great risk to himself and then connected him to the other believers there in Damascus, to the church there in Damascus, and if Barnabas had not advocated for Saul here before the church, before the apostles, and seen to it that he was accepted into the life of the church as we just read, well then Saul likely doesn't become the apostle Paul that we know today. In the New Testament that we read today every week at church, and for that matter, the church as we know it today, it might not even exist. It shows us, I think, the importance of Christian community, 
doesn't it? And how we all need Ananias' and Barnabas' in our lives too, especially if you're a newer Christian, by the way. I mean, we all need Christian community in our lives, no matter how long it is that we've been following Jesus. That need never goes away, but it just seems to be especially true for newer Christians, for people early on in their journeys of faith, like Saul was in this story. They especially need Ananias' and Barnabas' of their own don't they? People who take them under their wing and ensure that they remain connected to the community of faith, to the church. Because honestly, I've seen it happen far too many times where someone comes to faith or maybe comes back to faith after having been away for a while and they start coming to church again, but they, they never really get connected in the church relationally, right? They don't have an Ananias or a Barnabas to you know, turn to, to come alongside and to take them under their wing, or more accurately put, the Ananias and the Barnabases in the church, they don't find them. They don't initiate a connection with these new Christians by inviting them into their homes or into their home churches or into their lives. And you know what often ends up happening as a result with these disconnected new Christians? Well, eventually they completely disconnect, don't they? And they disappear from the church and often they all but disengage completely from their faith as the noise and the chaos of life takes over with no one to advocate for them. Friends, I want you to hear this, whether you're a new Christian or an old Christian, I want you to listen to these words. Hear this. You can't follow Jesus on your own. You can't. And you can't become who God wants you to become apart from a community of faith. Because at the end of the day, like Saul, we need friends, spiritual friends, a community of faith, people like Ananias and Barnabas who will pray for us and walk with us and advocate for us in life because we can't follow Jesus on our own. So who's your Ananias and your Barnabas? Or who might God be inviting you to be an Ananias or a Barnabas towards? Because we need one another. We need a community of faith around us in order to follow Jesus. Well, back to our story. Our, our story in our passage here ends in Acts chapter 9 with these words. We're in verses 28 through to 31. We read this. So Saul stayed with the, the apostles and he went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. They invited him into ministry now as part of the church. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him for the third time now in this passage. Seems like everyone wants to kill Saul in this story. Verse 30. When the believers heard this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his, his hometown, as his community of faith came to his rescue once Again, and then finally in verse 31, we read this. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. Not fear of man and what persecutors and what man could do to them, but fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. This is the story of Saul as a new Christian Saul, who eventually became known as the Apostle Paul as he retreated with Jesus before attempting to succeed for Jesus, and as he learned to depend on the community of faith that surrounded him, which is such a great example for us to follow today, isn't it? 
And so as we wrap up our time together here today, I just have three quick reflection questions for you coming out of this story. Three questions that I hope will help to, you know, put some teeth to this story, so to speak, in our own life. Questions that will help us process what it is that maybe God's trying to say to us. Here's question number one. What does retreating look like for you in your daily life? What does retreating look like for you in your daily Retreating is in setting aside some time each and every day to be with Jesus, to read the scriptures and to pray and to reflect and journal and to meditate on God's goodness in your life. What does retreating look like for you in your daily life? Like, is this part of your daily rhythm at all? It should be. If you're a follower of Jesus, take a few minutes each and every morning or, or evening or whenever it works for you to pray and to press in to the presence of Jesus, to be with Jesus before you ever attempt to do anything for him. So think about that. What does retreating look like for you in your daily life these days? What should it look like for you? Question number two then, what's the role of Christian community in your life right now? Not like what was it like pre-COVID, pre-pandemic? What do you wish it would be like one day? What's it like right now for you? What's the role of Christian community in your spiritual journey right now? Are you connected? Are you in spiritual uh, relationships with other people? Are you in a home church, a small group? Are you journeying with friends, with Ananias and Barnabases, people who are for you and who are committed to supporting you in your journey? Because remember, we, we can't follow Jesus on our own. We need one another. And I know that COVID has complicated that and connecting online with people is hard and all that kind of stuff, but we need to find a way to get back to being in each other's lives once again, because we need each other. You need people in your life. So what's the role of Christian community in your spiritual journey right now? That's question number two. And then finally, question number three is this, as we close, it's what's your view of suffering and following Jesus? I didn't really talk about this here today, but it's an important part of Saul's story here in Acts 9 because for, for Saul, I don't know if you noticed this, but for Saul, life actually got harder for him after coming to faith. As three times throughout this story, we see people plotting to kill him, sending Saul on the run for his life. So what's your relationship with suffering like? How, how do you think about suffering in light of being a follower of Jesus? Because we forget sometimes that Jesus never promised to take our problems away, but to be with us in the midst of them. Most often in the form of Christian community through the Barnabases and Ananiases of our lives. So we aren't to run away from faith and from the church when life gets hard, right? We're to run towards faith and towards our community of faith when life gets hard, knowing that Jesus longs to meet us in those difficult times places. So what's your view? What's your thought of suffering in light of following Jesus? Because if you don't have a good theology of suffering, when life gets hard, guess what? It's really easy to just quit and walk away from it. This is the story of Saul, the new Christian. So much insight in there in Acts 9. I hope that you're walking away with something to chew on, to reflect on further as God longs to transform your life just as he transformed Saul's. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for this incredible truth that because of the life, death, and resurrection that you endured for us, that you went through for us, that we can be changed, we can be made new, we can be forgiven, restored in relationship with, in right relationship with God. I pray that our lives would reflect that in the way that we engage in community 
with one another in the way that we support newer Christians and, and, and those in our church who are struggling and the way that we think about suffering in every aspect of our life. Just as you changed Saul's life, God, we ask you, we invite you to continue to change our life to make us like Jesus so that our lives would reflect his glory and his beauty to others. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with more of our Acts of the Apostles series. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to the Gathering Ottawa's message podcast.